0: This is After School on Core Seventy Seven. I'm Don Lehman. Our guest today is Catherine Bailey, the co-owner and creative director of Heath Ceramics. We talk about her career as an industrial designer and her path to turning around a beloved American ceramic studio and manufacturer. Stay tuned. So why don't we just uh, just launch into it, maybe uh, give a little bit of background information on on you and kind of your history. So where are you from originally?
1: So I'm from the East Coast originally, and um, I grew up in New Jersey and um, went to school for industrial design in Syracuse, New York, at Syracuse. Okay. Because um, it was, you know, on the East Coast, and that's where I was.
2: <laughs> right right
1: and that after that i moved out west um to work for nike um as soon as i graduated
0: okay cool cool so when when you were in school what did what kind of path did you envision your career going down well
1: let's see so i i was in school and i i you know, I knew I wanted to study industrial design, which was kind of good because a lot of people don't, and then it takes a long time. But I knew that because I had done this um, fantastic program at Carnegie Mellon, where they kind of immersed you. When I was in college, you kind of, or when I was in high school, you got immersed into these different things. So it felt really clear. You know, I really enjoyed three dimensional, three dimensional design, yeah. and to me, that just was like, you know, not. Not graphic design, because all I really knew was like you could be an architect or a graphic designer or, or or I learned industrial designer. So that just felt you know it felt interesting. and the idea of of designing products was just you know, the most exciting thing that I could possibly imagine doing. Um, and then um, you know, getting to college was pretty it, pretty much it was perfect. It was like there were other people like me who also were interested in that, you know, more than other things. And it was a really dedicated kind of intense group of people. Once you got into studying design and it was a real, you know, I look back on it. It was real kind of practical, you know, upstate New York industrial design education. You know, how do you make a, make something out of sheet metal, you know, how would you, (laughs) you know, redesign a can opener, you know, it was like, real, uh, real classic stuff. But, um, you know, all I knew was that I, I wanted to work somewhere where, you know, you could, it it was super creative and you could, um, to, for a place or company that was open to new ideas because as a student, I thought that would be cool.
0: Yeah. So you went to Nike right after school and then kind of, how did your career lead up to, uh, Heath, you were at you 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 were one of the founders of uh, One and Coke, right?
1: Yeah, so I did. So I went to Nike for yeah. like about five years, and then I um, wanted to just do something less corporate. So then I just decided I needed to work on my own for a while, and then I um, did that and had some good clients. Still, one of them being Nike, mm-hmm. and then I decided that. I was a little bit pigeonholed because I had done, you know, five years of footwear, so I was kind of the soft goods designer. And um, I partnered with a friend of mine who was at um, IDEO at the time, and so he left, and then One in Co really became, you know, a real consultancy where we had kind of a broad range of skills. Um, Yeah, and and that was pretty neat, and I learned a lot. He was he was a really good designer and had had a different background than I did because he had gone to art center and was at IDO. And, um, it was, it was, you know, it was good. It was a good creative kind of partnership, um, that we did for a couple of years. And then that thing just continued, continued to grow. And, um, let's see. And I met I met um, Robin, who's my partner and husband now. During that time, because he was an engineer, and we needed to work with mechanical engineers because we had, you know, clients that needed more engineering for stuff that we were designing. Sure. Um, yeah, and so that was one go. And then after that, um, gosh, it was a couple more years down the line. Joe decided that he was he was one of the founders of Incase, which is the like. Um, you know, they do back backpacks to cell phone covers to um, head headphones and stuff like that. Yeah, so he was one of the guys who founded that, so he decided to go. And he, he was always doing that like part time while we were doing the consulting thing. So he did that full time, and then um, I took on another partner, actually two more partners. So we kind of had a real diverse kind of skill base.
2: Yeah,
1: again at one and co, and then it you know. It, it kept growing, and then I left in 2003. Yeah, um, left it to my partners, and right.
0: it came to Heat. Right, and I think that's that's actually when I first heard about you because uh, back in 2003, I was planning a, a conference actually back in Western New York. I was going to school at RIT, and we oh. had we had one of your partners, uh, Claude uh, Zellwedger. Yeah, he he came out to speak at the conference, and we were talking oh, about. Oh, I
2: remember that. Yeah. yeah I told him. Yeah.
0: And, uh, uh, you know, we were talking about the company and he's like, yeah, you know, Kathy's leaving to do this, uh, this thing. And that's when I first learned about Heath and and kind of of learning about, uh, you know, the history of the company and kind of it's like this, you know, at the time it was sort of this like kind of great American design company that you did just no one was talking about, but it's kind of like on the same level as like a Herman Miller or, or something like that. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the history of of Heath and and who Edith Heath was?
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, so Edith Heath was a. I mean, I think of her as she she wasn't like a traditional designer because she came more from a um, from an art background, and she decided that she would be an art teacher because that was in the nineteen. 19- 40s, I guess early or late 30s even, that's kind of what you did if you were that type of person. But then she became interested in pottery but, um, and you started throwing pots and you know decided that she really didn't want to just throw pots. She would rather have a company and have her designs produced on a larger scale. Um, although she came from that pottery background, she was like deeply um, committed to craft. So she's like this interesting you know, she isn't uh, Eva Zeisel who was trained as a designer and really went around to different companies and offered design. She was she was just, you know, committed to this one thing. Um and 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 yet in the end, you know, she she ends up being like a merger of, you know, designer, potter, businesswoman and um you know, artist, I guess too. Mm-hmm. So she she and Brian Heath founded Heath Ceramics in 1947 or 48, one of those um or somewhere in between, maybe December 47. <laughs> and um that was in Sausalito, California. They they you know really figured out how to take Edith's designs and um produce them with molds. Mm-hmm. And Heath did um you know, really quickly it became um it became recognized in the design world. I mean it was in like the the I think she Edith Heath had a relationship with Edgar Kaufman Junior and that was a really, I think, important relationship that brought her into the design world. And, you know, Heath was recognized in like the good design shows and and stuff like that. So she got she got into that world, um, and that that is an important part of Heath's legacy. I think that um, she was really involved in the Aspen Design Conference. Both Edith and her husband, Brian, were. But Heath did um, well and and was really kind of had its own unique kind of Northern California aesthetic and... Um, really well all the way until the eighties, I think, is early eighties is when things started to not um, be what they had been. And, you know, the way businesses like Heath worked was changing and um, aesthetics were changing and the Heaths were older at that point. Yeah. So it still it still kept going, but it wasn't what it wasn't in its heyday um, in those years.
0: Sure. What makes um Heath Ceramics Heath, you know, what, what, what are the qualities that when you look at it, you go, that's, that's something that we would put that name on.
1: You know, I think, you know, it's not just the aesthetic. Uh, I believe it's, it's when people kind of connect with Heath, they connect with, um, you know, the connection that we have from design to manufacturing, um, things that, having a real high level of craft in the design and having a real, you know, we're we're focused on ceramics and having a deep understanding of ceramics, um, clay and glaze and and kind of designing those materials ourselves. I think it's something that makes it heat. So it's kind of like, you know, all those things we care about coupled with this pretty clear aesthetic, um, you know, that's modern, has roots in the mid-century, but, you know today what makes heath heath I think is that it's got um a strong recognition of those roots but it's moved forward and um you know it takes into account what's happening today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So so it's like 2003 and you're and you, I guess you start to approach heath what what led you to approach them in the in the in the first place?
2: So
1: the first thing was that um Robin and I had kind of stumbled upon it. Like, you know, we had moved to Saucurito, didn't, I we kind of drove by, and I remember going, oh, is that heap! like the heap ceramics, like the, that stuff I see on eBay? And I thought, that's weird, because I felt that place went out of business, and um then maybe a couple weeks later, we, we had time to stop and couldn't really tell if it was open or not because the front door isn't really on the road. It's around the corner, but we did and we like got more adventurous, and we went inside and, um, you know, everything was super dusty and, um, there was no curation to what was going on in their little shop there. So uh, after that experience, I mean, we couldn't, like, wanted to buy something, but there wasn't prices on anything. So you mm. just find someone and, like, ask them, how much would this cost if I wanted to buy? It. So it was, like, really, like, crazy. And you knew that no one else had taken over this business. It was really, you know, some kind of, like, original ownership or something, because you can tell quickly when money goes invest, gets invested in things and they change. So we knew that hadn't happened. But I thought maybe I could help them design-wise. So I first approached them um, and wrote Edith a letter, I believe, and said, "You know, hey, could we? Do, do you need some help here? I'm a designer and would love to um, help you out." Um, never heard back on that. But then yeah. we found
0: and we're, out we're, sorry, the, were you were you doing that in like you know from a one and co perspective, or just from yourself? You were kind of interested in it, or
1: Yeah, that was just kind of like, I mean, if it turned, if, you know, the path had gone a different way, then I would have taken it into one and co, I guess. But, you know, but I was willing, like, I saw it and I was pretty, you know, I was pretty enamored with the whole thing and that it still existed. And I was like, I I mean, I'll do this for free. I don't care. This is just like, if I could get in this place and, like, help them in any way so it doesn't go away, like, just let me at it. Um, So that was, You know, I mean, they clearly, clearly weren't thriving. So it it wasn't like, wow, this is going to be a good client.
2: (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. Right. But then we, we found out that it was for sale in like another just conversation in the store. Um, we stopped back by again and they said it was about to be sold to some people from LA and everybody was really nervous, you know, what they were going to do. But for some reason, then a few months later, you know, Robin went back or something and, and, and it hadn't happened. That sale hadn't gone through and someone gave us a number of someone to call because we said, we, we really want this place to to um, move on. So we'll, we need to find out what's going on with it.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. So, and now at what point, so you're, I mean, at this point you're already really interested in the company maybe just working with them and then you hear it's for sale. What and,
2: and, but, so then,
1: you know, yeah. I hadn't, yeah, that was like, uh, okay, like I'm, I'm not, neither Robin and I are someone who like, you know, buys companies. We never thought of ourselves as those, those type of people. That's like a different kind of person right. who, who like, you know, has a business and finance background or something. Sure. But we thought, okay, so let's look into this and then we looked and they did have like a web. So I one time it was, at that point it was like one page and they had this list of like um, their their wholesale accounts on there and I thought wow that's a lot of accounts this place must be worth the money maybe they're not doing so so poorly as we thought and you know I remember feeling kind of like oh I, I don't know how we'd ever you know there was like I don't know maybe like sixty or like a hundred lists of of retailers on there and I was like oh that's scary but. Um, we just kind of kept asking questions, um, found out it really had to be sold or it was going to close. And um, and then the the woman who was uh, uh, taking care of the business, you know, not day to day, but she was actually, the business had been put in the trust. Mm-hmm. And so it was no longer in, in Edith's hands because she was too old. And, but anyway, this woman, um, Jay Stewart, was incredibly encouraging you know, she really, we really got along instantly. We, we told her why we loved the business, and she was kind of like, it's almost like she had a big sigh of relief going, wow, you guys seem to love this for, for the right reason, so why don't you put together a proposal? And um, and I remember Robin, at, you know, we had to, like, you know, do a business plan and, like, figure out how we're going to get money and make a plan, because um, it was, like, you know, a real business. It wasn't, like, starting it in your garage. So we did that. And um, I remember Robin was like, yeah, I, I, I took a class and wrote a business plan in college. Like, I do I, I that. <laughs> and, um, like, he went down and found his book, like, his textbook, like, how to write a business plan. Yeah. But, you know, I think, though, the real lesson of the success is that, you know, Robin's really good at asking um, you know, smart people and experienced people for help and getting advice. And, like, if you're open to doing that, you can kind of do anything. So he got a little bit of help, some really good advice. So when this business plan was done, you know, it was a real thing. It looked legitimate. Um, It was legitimate. And he did a lot of due diligence. And I, you know, I did a lot of background work and helping put that together. And then we had something, you know, we're like, okay, one step at a time. (laughs) Yeah. Did it.
0: Yeah. So at a certain point, you know, obviously both you and Robin are, are working on this together. Um and it's always, you know, uh there's a there's probably a conversation that you need to have if you're working with your you know, not only your business partner but your life partner to try to figure out how you're gonna make this work without killing each other. Was there ever a a, a conversation like that or was that ever a a a concern?
1: No, no, we never even that never came up. Yeah. But I- I think we were confident in that we had done some, you know, at the time it felt like we had been together and had been working together for years and years, decades, but it really wasn't. It was a couple years. But, we, you know, we had um, gotten to the point where at One&Co, Robin and his partner were like the engineering arm of One&Co, so we were already working together with clients and, you know, in that environment and we worked pretty well together. And um, so, yeah, I guess it just felt like, you know, we shared a you know we've been working together for a while and it's fine. Yeah. That's what we do. That's great. Um, Yeah. I mean, we're kind of similar like that. There's not a lot of conflict, but, you know, the reality is, is that your work and your home does merge into one and that's just, there's nothing you can do about it. You try to set boundaries, but they just,
0: yeah. you know,
1: they don't always work.
0: Right. But I'm sure it helps, because uh, uh, it sounds like your your functions both when you were working together initially and and now the work you do with Heath. Obviously, you're collaborating a lot, but you also kind of have your buckets to work with. And
2: yeah,
1: it's it's. I mean, we definitely step on each other's toes sometimes, <laughs> but it's not not really. But they're in, they're because if we do, I mean, and I guess it's not step on over each other's toes, but we, you know, we'll we'll debate things and we'll just keep having to go like, okay, what's what's the big picture here and what is Heath and where is it going? They're they're big picture stuff, not small things. It's pretty easy to defer on the stuff for me to defer to him on the stuff that he that is in his area. And we have pretty clear roles. I mean maybe to some of our employees (laughs) The hard part is, you know, we we do own, the two of us own the majority of the business, so we like really care about everything. And sometimes I think to employees, that can be a little confusing if you're coming from, from a more corporate world where there's very, very clear buckets. And like, why would you care about this other part of the business if it's not in your bucket? And to us, Sometimes, you know, we do care because the whole thing has got to work and there's a lot of moving parts. And if there's a problem in one that's not in my area, I kind of kind of want to know what's going on.
0: Sure. Sure. So you've, uh, you know, you, you got to the point where you purchased teeth and, and you, you, you're you really excited about it. What was that first year like, you know, because I'm, I'm getting this image now of you and, and Robin walking in and, and like you said, it's sort of dusty and like, you know, it's like it has this sort of luster of an old glory on it and you just have to kind of look past that dust. Um, yeah. You know, what what was that first year like?
1: Well, yeah, so jumping off on what you said, it it was like that part of the business was so, so amazing because you could just like look around and there was this wonderfully designed stuff. That kind of wasn't in production, or you know, there was just like this this ability, design-wise, to kind of quickly make new glazes, and so it was like, you know, it was like this amazing treasure chest. And that I had really fantastic first year, like dusting off, curating, figuring out what was good. You know, it was easy. It was just so easy because there's so much good stuff, and um, and I like working with color, so I, I easy to just redo the colors that keep some of the past as new. And that, the first year, actually, I mean, before we even bought the company, I had already kind of given a lot of thought to all that and knew exactly what I wanted to do. And so that was, like, there was a little more creative stuff, but it was a lot of ex- executing. But then, but then, like, the real, the real hard stuff happened because it was, like, okay, like, this is a manufacturing business, and what happens, like, when... You know, you can't make stuff because, you know, there's, like, the roof is leaking and then the, like, bay floods and then the whole, like, there's just, like, all these disasters that that would happen. And, um, you know, and this employee is, like, you know, really unreliable, and yet he's been here for 10 years. And, you know, it's from employee stuff to, like, just, like, condition of equipment and building, there was, like, there was tons of challenges. And um, it was all that stuff that was, like, really out of our comfort zone that we had to deal with. And there was no, like, it was, you know, it was just us, you know, literally when the building would flood, it was, like, us down there with, like, some of the guys from the plant trying to, like, patch the flood holes. I mean, it's hilarious when you think back of it. It was, like, complete the opposite of what we had been doing in our other lives. But it was was pretty satisfying.
0: Yeah. What was it? Were you nervous at all about kind of you know i don't know i mean you're you're still doing design work obviously but i mean you're not doing uh industrial design work at this point point and ceramics is so, sort of this kind of totally different beast where you kind of you leave behind the the sort of uh you know cad designed perfection of industrial design and and embrace mm-hmm. this this imperfection um yeah. but that's that's sort of the beauty of it but i i kind of wonder how you were were feeling about that at the time
1: You know, at the time, I was just so excited to have a project that I really cared about. Like, we deeply cared about preserving the company, and we thought it was really important, and it was important to have these manufacturing jobs. So it was like, on one level, like, you know, I was just really felt fulfilled and satisfied, whereas a lot of the other work that I had done, it's like... Yeah, the design, like that presentation, was amazing, and you know the engineering solution was great. But then at the end of the day, you threw it over the fence, and a lot of those projects either never happened, or you know you're a consultant, so you didn't really control it. So I had like, you know, I had been doing eight years of like, you know, with a, a pretty high level of frustration on a lot of a lot of projects that I cared about. So here it was like, okay, I care about this. That fills in a lot, and design-wise. I think it's just personally the kind of way I operate. I'm I'm always better on a big picture level. Mm -hmm. And and, um, there was so much stuff to design at, at this company, you know, from like, and it wasn't, you know, I did some of it myself, but I also had a lot of good friends who are really good designers. So from like getting the website done to designing, you know, communication stuff and, um, you know, and I got to like to me design like doing all the the color and the color glaze work was real satisfying design work. So it's different. It wasn't like the hardcore industrial design stuff, but that wasn't what you know. It was a happy trade off at that point. And I always kind of felt like, oh well, if we do well with this, you know, that kind of design work can can be somewhere in our future.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you know, it sounds like there were a lot of resources kind of already in place at Heath. Um, What were were some of the things that you kind of already had in in play, you know, not even just, you know, equipment and past designs that you could sort of dust off, but, you know, some of the people that were there already?
1: Yeah, so there was, like, there was, I mean, coming from where we had come before, consultants background, you know, there was this infrastructure and stuff, but so there was there was someone who knew how to make glazes and he could read glaze formulas and there was someone who knew how to fire the kiln and there were guys who knew how to, you know, form form stuff out of clay and um there was one guy who could fix machines. So there was like a crew like that. I mean the whole company at that time was twenty five people and about twenty and about twenty of them or twenty one of them were working on the factory floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the store, right? And then so but the, the thing was is like running the company there was like no one. There was someone taking orders and dinnerware and kind of managing that and then um a bookkeeper, someone working in um in the tile production line or managing that and that was it. So it's like everything else. There's there was no marketing or sales or design or or you know anything. So so that part of the resources was like, wait, I'm used to working for people who have these kind of things set up and there's someone to call and we have to figure that all out. You know, definitely no, there were no computers, you know, it's like there's no IT guy to call. <laughs> yeah. So that, but, you know, so it was just a very like, it's like, you're just, you know, entering another land of something that was quite, quite foreign. Although, every day the factory started and they need stuff and that really worked and every day you know since 1947 that happened even in 2003 every day it happened
0: yeah 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 i love um i follow you guys on instagram and that's I,
1: good. I love love that I,
0: it's so great because i love just kind of following only thing along. i like. what what's that
1: that's the only that's the only social media thing that i like
0: Yeah, it's great because it's the I mean, you really get a sense of, you know, what's going on at Heath and kind of your surroundings there and Sausalito. So I I love seeing the experimentation uh, that you guys do with the with glazing and just the different things you're uh, form wise you're trying. Talk a little bit about um, some of that experimentation you get to do. Cause it just, it seems so immediate maybe because it's clay and you can fire it. And then like in a couple of days yeah. you can just, you know.
1: Yeah, I know. That's what I always think. I, I wonder how people perceive that, but it's like, it's totally true. Especially if you're, you know, doing like design these days, it takes forever. I mean, and then, you know, just to get to the prototype done. Right. But well, the, the really cool thing about, where we're at now, is I've set up a studio in our new San Francisco facility, and it's a clay suit, clay design studio. So the idea is to kind of merge um, what you can do immediately with clay, you know, throwing pots, basically, or throwing shapes, you know, with design. And so, you know, we have a design process that we go through, but there's a... Um, Studio director who's a potter and a designer. So this stuff really does happen, like, instantly. You know, sometimes so we, we can have, like, a normal design process where we're um, talking about shapes, but, like, between one week and the next, like, you can generate, a t- like, tons of physical shapes that are glazed, you know, in the finished material um, just by hand-throwing them. I mean, it's really... It's so, it's so satisfying to do that. But it's also to me important to like work in the original material for a lot of the work that we do. So instead of doing a CAD model first, you know, we only do that to document. We yeah. try to um, see what the clay is really going to do, like when your hand touches it and have that be a stronger um, basis of the design. Um, you know, little thumbnail sketches and stuff like that are fine to kind of work out idea, but like quickly go to the clay and then quickly figure out. um you know what that what that clay can do and i mean i i'd like to explore other materials um, we have a space now where we can explore other materials too but clay is, is specifically perfect for that really quick turnaround and you know you can form it quite easily yeah
0: what are some of the uh you know when you work with clay what are some of the properties of it that are to that that draw you to it and kind of make it unique?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I think there's also the idea of it. First of all, you know, you're taking this is just, you know, part of the earth. Yeah. Literally, like, you can find a clay bed and you can just form that into a shape and fire. So that idea of it being, like, so tangible and so, you know, just of the earth is really interesting. But then technically, um, you know, the fact that it's, it's, moldable in that way that you can throw it on a wheel is just kind of this this primal satisfying, um, aspect of clay. And then, and then the fact of like, you know, that material, how it feels when it's fired, you know, the, the weight of it and the quality and the, um, the strength it has, it's just a kind of a wonderful material that's so perfect for a lot of different uses and beyond that, the, the color and, and finish possibilities of glazes um, is, like, never-endingly exciting.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, you, you've you got a lot of uh, really talented artisans on staff. Talk a little bit how you collaborate uh, with them and kind of what your creative process is, is, is like. Like, where, where do ideas come from at Heath?
2: So, I mean,
1: the the ideas really don't come on the – if you're talking about people working in the factory, you know, we have it separate. The factory is really the factory, but there's, there's areas – I mean, there's certain people, like there's a glaze technician who um, has just a lot of experience in making and glazing, and she's worked at Heath for 40 years. So, oh, wow. you know, yeah, ideas definitely – Come out of her booth, um, but but on the bigger picture ideas. I mean, we really do have this this design studio, and before that, it was you know you know just a really small design team, and the ideas come from from up there. But I think the thing that's different is like you know all of us are on the factory floor a lot, and and. Um, Observing kind of what's going on and looking at the quality of the pieces that come out every day. And so when you're doing that, it does kind of, it lends ideas and it puts, puts sometimes parameters in your, in your head. And, um, you know, but as far as like, and, and we're always, we always got like tests going on for, for certain things. And we're, it's like a, it's a really interesting organic process where, you know, one thing, One idea will lead to another idea, or we're doing a custom glaze for a client, um, and then that will lead us to something really, you know, some kind of fascinating combination of colors, and then we'll kind of jump off from that and create, you know, could create a new line of tapestry tile or something. So, I mean, I think projects, they do come, some of them, from really the material and the, the people working here up and then some of them really come from, you know, bigger thinking on what we're trying, something we want to do. And then, and then we work it out in the studio.
0: Yeah. You also do a lot of really nice uh, collaborations with other uh, studios and designers. I'm wondering how do you approach um, kind of bringing that into your process and, and making sure that it still feels like Heath at, at the end of it.
1: Yeah. So I, Right. Yeah, we've had some really good ones, and a lot of them just kind of keep on going, too. Uh, and I think, for me, the most important thing is, like, you really need to get to know the person, designer, artist, well before you commit to anything. So it's not like your typical, we never do it like, oh, this, this like, the heat and this name would sound really good together, so let's, like, just make that work. Um, and, you know, we're small, so we don't really have to do that. So it's kind of like, we'll. Every every single one I think is like we've met the person you kind of have a mutual admiration you kind of want to learn more about they, what they do they want to learn more about what we do and then um, you know and then all of a sudden you know you're you're almost usually both thinking about it at the same time like we should do something like this
2: yeah so um,
1: I think they're they're all like that and um, you know the one so even this, this um, work we do with House Industries you know that was like a total. Like Andy Cruz at House took a tour through um, Heath in Sausalito and then he wrote about it in his blog. And he takes like beautiful photos, and it was like this wonderful, like the best blog write up ever. And so, yeah, I wrote him an email, and I said, "That's just so awesome! You should have said hi. Like, I love your work." And then, like two days later, like this package of like all this really cool house stuff comes for me, and then. And then I wrote him again, and I was like, wow. And he's like, yeah, we should do something. And I'm like, I was thinking the same thing, but I didn't want to ask yet. So, <laughs> so that so, <laughs> so that happened. And then, um, you know, and those guys, I mean, that's the uh, kind of collaboration. Wish you were closer together, but because um, those guys are in Delaware and we're not, so we don't get to meet up that much. But, you know, we kind of get what each other does and what's important to each other. So it works out pretty well. they are great.
2: Yeah,
0: you guys are definitely kind of spiritual friends. I mean, it just sort of make it's like obvious in retrospect, but then you see the work together with like you know just the house numbers and and yeah, the
1: numbers we're just very, I mean, we're just working on clocks now that are completely fabulous.
2: So. Oh, cool! Yeah,
1: we, big. It's like it's nice to do something a little bigger scale. So you know we're kind of limited in the scale we can work in. So that that's a really project
0: yeah very cool are there companies that you um, that you try to emulate or you you know that that kind of have done things that you try to bring into to Heath
1: um I can't think of anybody off the top of my head I mean it's hard because a lot more often these days you're seeing kind of like classic companies that you start to become aware of and then it gets kind of sold and then it's a little disappointing. Yeah. Um, What happens next? You know, it's just like slightly compromised. So I always look out like what's really not compromised. And then, and then it's also, yeah. So I don't have any really good stories. It's more like kind of sad stories where you see someone who's really trying to make it and then they just don't care about design and it doesn't work out. Like there's a lot of those on my radar now where you're like, Oh, really could help love to help some of these companies but you I mean we even tried with some and and, and their mentality is just in another era or yeah they don't they don't get it so
0: right have you thought about that at all for your company because you guys I mean it's obvious that uh, you and Robin have this you know, you you kind of, there. You definitely feel that you are are taking on a responsibility, and you feel very responsible to the legacy. Um, and I I wonder, like, if you know, obviously, you both are are pretty young right now, but you know, the way things are going, you know, looking fifty years into the future, or have you thought even, <laughs> like, you know, like, huh, I wonder what happens after, you know, we who's, yeah. who who are going to be the next stewards of Heath. Or how do we do yeah, that? Yeah,
1: we, th- we think about that a lot. We're thinking about that a lot, and we kind of have a couple years to figure it out, but not that long, because I think you got to plan well if you actually don't want to just um, have, you know, what happened to Heath in the last transition was it almost went away. And, or it, uh, and there was another scenario where it was going to someone who didn't care about the manufacturing. They just wanted the brand. So, you know, those things happen if you don't think about it. So, uh, you know, one interesting and obscure example, Um, you know, I don't, I can't think of any really great American examples, but there's a um, design shop in Sweden called Frank's 10 that Mm. is um, quite a bit older than Heath. It started off as like a pewter um, kind of craft design shop and turned into kind of like an interior design place and they they made all their own furniture designs and um beautiful textile designs anyway this company kind of transitioned into its current form from the original owner and it and it's quite um it's quite an amazing transform transformation in that it's still like a really important part of Swedish design and they do do new things but it's it's mostly rooted in the past but I think that's the the one thing that we've seen, and we've been really impressed um, how they turned it. It's it's actually some kind of like a foundation. Although when you walk in the shop and you see some of the design things that they've done, it's, it's interesting. I think you know, Artek is another good one in mm. Finland. That's a pretty that's pretty true itself, but it became it's really, really expensive and it didn't, you know, start off that way. And that's always something that we struggle with because, you know, we want heat to be somewhat accessible and don't want it to be completely, um, and it was started that way. I mean, it's not, it's never been inexpensive, but it's, you know, you can buy one thing and it's not and it's accessible for
0: sure. a good amount
1: of people. Sure.
0: Um, you know, you've, you've got this fantastic heritage to pull from, and it's, it's really ingrained into, to the company. Um, I wonder how you've kind of balanced both building on to the heritage and also, you know, not letting it weigh you down in certain ways. Cause you certainly could just, you know, be very stridently mid century, um, kind of a feel, but, I, you know, the work you have done, you know, onto the original stuff, you know, it has a relationship to that stuff, but it definitely feels of today as well. So I wonder how you've kind of balanced that, and, and how do you know when you, you've hit that right balance?
1: Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think that's something, I mean, personally, we were never interested in, like, just having a nostalgic company. We just thought that would be boring. Um, and probably less successful because you got a pretty limited market if you're only kind of focusing on that. So yeah, so it's just like you said, it's about the balance of it. And um, I don't find it that hard. I think there's things to me that are clearly, you know, it's like it's like just recognizing what's really classic and when it's truly really classic and it's already kind of withstand withstood the test of time. You know, the, those a certain core. Group of those kind of products need to need to stay and that's just how it is and it doesn't really matter how much they sell um, as long as you kind of create a balance that does sell and then um you know as time moves on you know that assortment can change a little bit but you kind of always have the same way of thinking about it and that's you know what's really classic and it's that keeping the most the most classic stuff the stuff that is gonna um Withstand we'll the test of time. And I think, you know, one thing that I did really pretty early on is I wanted us to be able to kind of really put that in a box and go, he's Heath, Heath is, Heath is really about um, that, things, things that are classic, you know, it's not all of the moment. And when we do a dinner color, a new one, you can um, trust that it's really going to stick around. And I put a time limit on that. And I said, you know, any new color that we do in dinnerware, I think, should stick around for 10 years. So when you're designing it, you think of that. You're like, I'm going to be tired of this in five years. But then then that doesn't give you anything new to talk about very much. So then we, um, we do seasonal collections. And so the seasonal collections just can be, you know... It's not like a a huge new product line. It's like taking, you know, working with glaze or technique or something, changing something that makes it feel like, um, you know, this is something that you're going to be excited to bring home today. And in five years, it looks kind of like it's 2013. That's okay. You didn't, you know, you didn't invest thousands of dollars and, you know, you dinner set that you wanted to last your whole lifetime. But it gives us the ability to explore and it's pretty low pressure if it doesn't sell really well. It doesn't really matter. It's not our bread and butter. Um, but I think it's important to always give yourself kind of like this area that you can explore in and put it out there and make it real. And you know, you're not going to go out of business um, by just trying things and pushing boundaries or, um, um, and you don't have to have that filter of like every single thing we put out is going to be classic forever. That's, that's your core line in your business, and you could try these other
2: things.
0: Yeah. You've guys, uh, you, you guys have grown quite a bit. Um, yeah, Beyond the Sausalito uh, factory, you've, you're also now in L.A., and you've got... Uh, it sounds like you're opening up a new place in San Francisco. How, how have you kind of managed... Uh, That growth and and been able to kind of maintain the same feel I guess
1: Yeah, so I think it's like with each of those big projects that we've taken on it's just like making sure you're ready for it I mean you're never totally ready for it, but it's pacing it out. You know, we didn't the first big new project We did was was LA and that was 2008 Yeah. so that was you know, five years after we took over the business. So that was kind of the right time. We're ready for that. And we kind of knew what Heath is. Um, We knew, we just felt like we knew a lot of what it was and what it wasn't. Um, And then we we found some great designers who also kind of understood that and that helped the store really take the right form. Mm -hmm. And then um, with the other projects, I mean, the San Francisco project is our biggest one because it's like we built a whole new factory and, and a store and there's like a whole, you know, we sublet space also to people that we think are doing interesting things. It's a much bigger thing, but, um, that was also the right time for that because we had, we needed to expand beyond our, um, socialization location because we didn't have room to grow. We didn't, there was not room for one more like pencil in that place. It was ready to explode. So that was, Doing that at the right time, and you know, at that point the company was big enough that it could support support really our big vision, which was, you know, what San Francisco has become. And we wanted to do it kind of in the middle of the city. We didn't want to be out somewhere, you know, in industrial parkland. So um, we had the company had to kind of be able to afford to do that, and um, and that was the right time for that. And and it was nice because then we already knew what, you know, what did the newsy store feel like, and we knew how to run stores. Um, So it was, like, one thing at a time. And then in in between that, we did another store in San Francisco in the Ferry Building, but um, oh, and and then we had to, like, the website That was a big project, too. But, um... Yeah. Yeah, all that stuff is, like, one at a time. It didn't happen all in the same year. It was, like, you know, each year we kind of look at and go. What 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 are the, where do we need to go next? And I think we're at the point now where it's like this year. There's no like, there's no more stores, um, at this point, and we're and we're good. We kind of made a big jump, built the infrastructure, and um, we're where we want to be.
2: Yeah.
0: So is it is the San Francisco location? Is that going to be? I mean, it's it's fairly close to the Sausalito one. You know. Especially compared to L.A., is that going to be a new headquarters or is it just factory and showroom or?
1: It's kind of, um, you know, like I said, we do things one step at a time. We're like, let's build it and then figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) But in some ways, you know, it's a really proper workspace here. So we will be moving more people over to San Francisco. But we're still working on, like we've had the store open for a year, the factory open last month. But there's still another like one third of the building we're working on. So, we don't have it all figured out yet. But so, in a way, it is the headquarters of New Heath. And yet, Sausalito is kind of the headquarters of like the Heath roots, because it's all the dinnerware is made in Sausalito. Um, and for the you know, future, as far as we can see it, that will continue. All the tile is now made in, in San Francisco. And then we have people working in both locations and going back and forth a lot. Because um, it is, you know, half an hour away, so um, it's yeah, it's, it it had to happen, and and it's really wonderful the way you feel. heat feels really different in the new location. It feels like the new Heath, but it doesn't feel like it's forgotten its past. Whereas if you go to Florida mm-hmm. now, you think, wow, this is like this is 1959.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: With computers.
0: Other than that, it's pretty nineteen fifty nine over there. Yeah. So it's it's been ten years now since uh since you purchased the company and you know, you've you've not only brought the company back to its former glory, but you've probably gone like way past what Edith Heath probably even imagined the company could could do. Um and so I'm wondering, you know, what are you what are you doing to keep pushing yourselves to, to, uh, to kind of experience the growth that you've had and, and kind of take Heath for the next 10,
1: 50 years? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I think first, we don't want this kind of growth for the next 10 years. I think that, you know, our goal was to kind of get the, make the company viable and get it to a scale where we could kind of do interesting new things. And I think it's kind of achieved that. So now it's very carefully kind of managing the growth and, and not growing as much as we did to get here. But it's also it's a super exciting time for me because there, we finally have our big enough that we can kind of support having a design team in a studio um, and the ability to have, you know, we, we have space now to explore new designs. We have space to kind of do shows and, um, you know, from gallery shows to design shows. So, like, all this kind of stuff that we wanted to do it can kind of come through now, so we have to kind of just carefully uh, make sure that we stay focused, I think, and, and not grow too much more. You know, we just need to grow to support what we want to do here, which is, um, you know, I don't know, it's hugely ambitious. We just want to design some new things that are really beautiful and, and make them here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so cool to hear that it's not even it's not about growth anymore. It's really just, you know, you've 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 made your footprint and you don't want to kinda if,
2: Yeah. 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 I mean
1: because I don't wanna be you know, I always often I think about well what do we want our jobs to be like? Like you really still wanna be having your teams be small enough that it feels a certain way, you know, otherwise I think we wouldn't wouldn't be where we want it to work. Yeah. Yeah. But it but it can grow a little bit, you know. I mean we have a little more capacity now and um but I I think the mo- the business model is that you know we have a couple of our own stores, we supply our own stores, we sell directly, and you know, that makes it all work.
0: Yeah. Very cool. So people can come they they can actually do uh factory tours of your of your locations, correct?
1: Yeah, so we we have a lot of factory tours in San and we're just trying to figure them out now in San Francisco. We don't have any like standard ones figured out yet, but um, you know we're on it. And the next probably by the by the holiday, we'll have some standard tours in San Francisco. Yeah,
0: that's great. So, uh, well, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. I've been wanting to. Uh, you know, I met my wife, and I are both huge fans of of Heath. We've got a few pieces of yours that uh, we received for our wedding, and just you know, we keep kind of uh, periodically going on the website and go. Oh, that, those are going to be the plates we're going to get. Those are the <laughs> those are the cups we're going to oh, get. Awesome. Yeah, so well, we yeah we're we're totally in love with this stuff, and uh, and uh, yeah, we definitely next time we're out in San Francisco, we're going to have to to drop in. So, but thank you. Yeah, for,
1: definitely. Come by and say hi. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Here. Great. Well, hey, thanks again for for coming on and uh, congrats on all the all the success the past ten years and the next uh, you know sixty years. All
2: right. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> all right. Thanks Great. a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.
0: Well, that's our show. Many thanks to Kathy for being our guest today. You can see her studio's work at heathceramics.com. You also need to follow Heath on Instagram. They feature a lot of the experiments the studio is working on, as well as these jealousy-inducing pictures from the Northern California outdoor adventures Kathy goes on. It's seriously so, so good. You can find that on Instagram at heathceramics. All one word, Heath Ceramics. Thanks also to Stephanie Ottinger and Aaron Silva from Heath for helping set up the interview. You could subscribe to After School on iTunes. Just go to the iTunes store on your computer or the podcast app on your mobile device and search for Core 77 or After School. And when you're there, if you like what you're hearing, give us a nice review so other people can find us as well. Also on Core, we include show notes that link you to all the stuff you heard us talking about with Kathy. You can follow me and the After School podcast on Twitter at @afterschool. And you can follow core77 on Twitter at @core77. After School's theme song is Introducing Today by Disco Lobos. I'm Don Lehman. Talk to you soon.
2: Don't you forget. Now.